0: My customers at Storybox were telling us they wanted a product that was different than what we were offering, and I ignored them. I I told our team that they were wrong. I told them that we were building this new thing. It was going to be the next big thing. And had I listened to that advice, you know, it could have been much different. So I always wanna always keep that first and foremost in my thought in every other company is let me be in love, deeply in love with our customers and how can I support them and love them far more than the product that I've built and be willing to scrap the entire product.
1: Welcome to Innovation and Leadership where I interview uncommonly high achievers like top investment fund managers, elite special operations soldiers, startup CEOs who sold their companies for billions of dollars, pro athletes, Hollywood filmmakers, really as many different kinds of experts as I can. The whole idea is to hear how they did it and then what advice they have for the rest of us that can be applied to the organizations we're trying to grow and innovate. Thanks for listening, and I hope you enjoyed today's show. Today on the show, I've got Justin Asiri. Justin, thanks for doing this.
0: Thank you so much for having me.
1: So Navy veteran, previous startup founder, Stanford grad. But let, let's dive in here by starting with what's executivepresence.io?
0: So we are a fully managed LinkedIn personal presence for CEOs of high growth companies. And one of the things that led me to this was realizing that, you know, we all know that the CEO is the face and voice of a brand. But usually when you look on LinkedIn, companies are putting a lot of effort behind the company. And I can't remember the last time I liked a post by a company or commented on it. But when I see a friend or someone I know, I engage with that. So there's a lot for CEOs and their companies to benefit from if the CEO is very active on LinkedIn as a thought leader. But it takes a ton of work, and we can take that work off their plate in a way that's authentic, efficient, and measurable.
1: You know, what's interesting is I haven't been as much of a social media guy. You know, like I have I have accounts, but, you know, I'm like the, you know, check Facebook once a month kind of guy, right? But for whatever reason, LinkedIn worked for me. I got on it maybe I don't know, mid 2000s, maybe it'd been out a year or something like that. And in the last 24 months, it seems like it's an entirely different network to me. Do you, do you feel that way?
0: Yeah, I do. And I think sometimes I get frustrated because the people that I see and I admire who have gained a big following, it's not necessarily because they have the best knowledge or the best insights. It's that they're really deliberate about growing a LinkedIn presence, which, like anything else, is a process that takes time. And, you know, one of the things that I've found is that, you know, the arbitrage opportunities, you have CEOs who are building amazing companies that I personally would love to learn from. And they're busy building a company. They don't have time to post every day and to, to nurture that audience. But I agree. I think that the the quality of content on LinkedIn has just completely gone through the roof. The level of activity there has grown, the number of people there. I feel like it's become the de facto source for professionals.
1: Yeah. So I, I know of some success stories that are really impressive to me lately, but I'd love to hear any success stories uh, from your end.
0: Specifically around LinkedIn? Yeah. Yeah, you know, the two biggest wins that I think of, one is around fundraising and one is around recruiting. And we don't disclose our clients, but in both cases, because they elevated their profile on LinkedIn, because they were sharing lessons learned, they were sharing about their culture. In the one case they got, you know, the the executive hire that they were looking for, it wasn't through a headhunter, it was through a, sor- a source in their network that didn't know they were hiring, didn't know what they were up to. So that was a huge win for them. Saved them, what, twenty dollars to $30,000 with a single hire. And the second one was fundraising. This, this person we were working with for six months was following our process of posting about their culture posting about their industry, posting about their insights, posting about their mistakes and what they learned. It allowed their network to get to know them. And someone who happened to be investing reached out and that eventually came through to a term sheet. So really happy for both of those wins that just came from authentically sharing who they are, what they're up to. It's not just about the number of followers, but it's about how that translates to growing their business.
1: I mean, I believe it so much. My my good friend who I've been on the show, I actually helped teach a class with him about LinkedIn, where I don't know what I was teaching, but I was happy to be <laughs> I was happy to be in the class, I don't help teach yeah. But he, you know, it's been super successful to him to grow to the, hit that thirty thousand dollars thirty thousand follower number and, and then transition other directions. But you know, some of the executives, like my friend Stacey Havner, who we, we've had on the show, she talks about it, like they're a third party marketer, so they're fundraising for big mutual funds and stuff, right? And she did all the hard work. Like she, I, she didn't have a service like you guys. Right. Yeah. But it got to the point where, and I think this is the funniest thing ever. She had a sales rep actually ask her, could you stop posting so much on LinkedIn? We can't handle all this work. (laughs) You're like, that is why you were a staff member. Mm Not, not an entrepreneur, but like, come on sales guy. No, the, the deal is we need to hire more salespeople. But, but I mean, it sounds silly, but I watched, I watched her do it. And it's so impressive and yet it is a, um, it is a legitimate time commitment if you're going to do it all yourself. And you know, it's like, I feel like it's like buying a gym membership. <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh man, I mean yeah, you're preaching my language. I feel like I feel like the name for everything and this is, you know, this is a realization for me personally that the name of the game for anything is compound interest over time. And what works in the gym, what works in saving for retirement works on social media as well, which is showing up every day and interacting. And, you know, kudos to your friend for doing that herself. It's a ton of work. I, and I'll I'll tell you that the the people I like working with most are the ones who have an initial knee-jerk reaction against this, where it's like, oh, I don't want to be self-promotional or I don't want the attention to be on me. That that's a very, you know, very veteran, military veteran mindset. And that's always the people where I'm like, man, if you open up and you share your wisdom, it's going to benefit the company. Like people want to learn from and follow people like you that aren't about chest beating, that aren't about being self-promotional. They have the best to learn. And they're usually the ones that are most hesitant to put themselves in the limelight.
1: Yeah. Well, listen, let's, let's talk about military stuff for just a second. Yeah. For starters, thank you for uh, spending years of your life protecting my family's way of life. <laughs> yeah, Appreciate It pleasure. You. Yeah. Um, thank you. And as I said before, you know, we love having veterans on the show and, and promoting especially veteran entrepreneurs. I think that you guys have so much to offer the country. And I think for me, and I've said this to a number of different vets on the show, I think that the attitude that you guys live of genuine sacrifice is like, I think about my friends who are veterans. They worry about mortgages and they they, they would like a nicer car. And there's like so much like me and the rest of my friends in so many ways. And then these other ways, they have this like genuine in the bones thing of it's not all about me. Yeah. And, and I just think that it's a benefit to society that the rest of us civilians get to hang out with you guys and that you're leading companies and stuff like this. In that vein, tell us about your podcast that helps people with that.
0: Yeah. You know, so I, my story was, I was on submarines for five years. I got out, I went to business school at Stanford and then went the entrepreneurial route and five years into my startup journey, I reconnected with some friends who were still in the military at a, at a birthday party, and they were complaining about getting out, and I have no idea what I'm going to do. And it reminded me, you know, I had that same problem. I spent probably, what, 120 dollars to $150,000 to go to Stanford. It was great. It gave me exposure to what I wanted to do next. Huge price point and huge time commitment that not everyone's able to make. So I started Beyond the Uniform and thought there's got to be a scalable way to help people figure out what they're going to do next. And I just, you know, one of the great things about podcasts, is, you know, is I didn't have to have the knowledge. I just had to have the curiosity. So I started meeting with veterans. You're an investment banker what is that? You know, I thought initially that was a teller at a bank when I was in the military. So it's like, okay, what do investment bankers do? How did you get here? And what advice do you have for someone seeking to do the same? And that format has gotten me to 420 episodes as a side project. I've interviewed coach K from Duke, who's a veteran. The former CEO of Pepsi is a veteran. Jocko Willink at the best uh, New York times, bestselling Navy seal author, you know, Academy award nominees, like incredible people, and, you know, one thing that I'll share that, you know, is similar to what you just shared, Jess, is like, you know, I feel like I approached Beyond the Uniform five years after I was out of the military and and five years of kind of avoiding that community. And when I reengaged with Beyond the Uniform, I, I'm just continuously struck by, like, how generous everyone in this community is. How selfless they are. Like, it's never about them. It's never about their attention. They're wanting to give back. They're wanting to help others. They're just genuinely good people who raised their right hand and swore an oath to put themselves and their family at risk to keep us safe. And, you know, there's a lot of other commonalities they have, but that, that, uh, history of service is what most keeps me going of like, man, if I can do one thing to pay it forward to this community, it's definitely a community deserving of that, of that leg up.
1: Yeah. I love it. I want to keep talking more about LinkedIn because I feel like it is, it's underutilized, it's misunderstood, and it has so much more benefit for today's entrepreneur than, than it has in years past. And then most of us appreciate. And I want to get into some some tactical things there, some how-tos for people listening today specifically. But but I also want to talk about Storybox and getting an investment from Eric Schmidt and can you tell us a little bit of that story?
0: Yeah. You know, I feel like the story changes every year I get away from it. But I graduated from Stanford. I was going to go do a consulting job with a company in New York and ended up starting a company instead. It was forcing to raise money from Google, Eric Schmidt. And it was it was the roller coaster that any entrepreneur knows. There were sprees of hiring and growth and feeling like a genius and there was sprees of laying people off and failing (laughs) very publicly and fantastically and you know i i look back on that and there's a lot i did right and there's a lot i did wrong and it took me years afterwards to sort through the detritus and figure out you know there were things that i did right that just didn't work out the way that i wanted to and there's a lot that i i did wrong and and you know just a couple lessons that are top of mind for me as as an entrepreneur who failed very big in his first venture and and by very big i mean we were a first mover who had a second mover come along and sell for 130 million dollars and we sold for you know not even a fraction of that but one thing that's just top of mind for me that i've tried to bring forward to other ventures is is first and foremost always wanting to be more in love with my customers than my product. And I can think of dozens of times when my customers at Storybox were telling us they wanted a product that was different than what we were offering and I ignored them. I I told our team that they were wrong. I told them that we were building this new thing. It was going to be the next big thing. And had I listened to that advice, you know it could have been much different so i always want to always keep that first and foremost in my thought in every other company is let me be in love deeply in love with our customers and how can i support them and love them far more than the product that i've built and be willing to scrap the entire product if it no longer serves who we are serving. And a second one is just, you know, growth, a growth mindset. And I've made it a point since then every single day to read at least 10 pages of some business book. And I was enjoying just, you know, some of your your other interviews, The, the caliber of people you have on your show and the quality of the advice around marketing, around building, around everything is so exceptional. And I feel fortunate to live in a time where there's so many great resources to just always be learning. And I think that, you know, one thing that I find difficult with entrepreneurship is that you have to be so bold and pigheaded to succeed as an entrepreneur. And you have to realize you don't know it all and you need to be constantly learning. And I think I lost sight of that second one along my first journey with Storybox. And it's something I'm really committed to is just learning and being curious and always growing and always recognizing that there's others who know more than me and to learn from them rather than sometimes the stereotype of the, you know, the Elon Musk or Tony Stark type caricature where it's like, You know, just make bold movements and the market will follow you, which works in some cases, but not always.
1: You know, I, I really love that message. I, I unfortunately have made many of the same mistakes in in my business career, you know, starting businesses that are not around today. Right. And I think, I think that, you know, I might have some similar personality traits there that, (laughs) that I've had to learn more humility and things like this over my career. A couple of things right off the bat for you. If you like books too along the line, Brian Grazier is one of the top box office producing producers of in the entire world. And he did like backdraft and all the, anyways, tons of movies you would know that I can't list right now, but his book, a curious mind he named because of that Russell Crowe movie he made called a, no, not a dangerous mind. What's, what's a, Russell a, Crowe beautiful, movie? Mind, beautiful, a beautiful mind. mind. So yep. he made a beautiful mind and he, his book is called a curious mind and it talks about him. And how he intentionally went out and interviewed a curious mind. He just took curiosity of like interview all sorts of people I'd never normally interact with. It's a fascinating mm-hmm. book, and he credits it with coming up with, you know, these movies that have been such all time highest box office producing movies and stuff because he didn't get trapped in the group think of Hollywood. And I think just your your podcast experience would you'd, you'd enjoy his discoveries and you you'd relate to it many ways. And the other one is there's an MIT professor named Edgar Schein maybe you've heard of, he wrote a book called, well, he's written a few books, but my favorite book of his is called Humble Inquiry. And I think it is the best book ever written about questions, the nuances he goes into about the different type of questions and the motivations behind questions and how social status influences questions. And it, it's, it's exceptional. I, I don't know how to recommend it enough, but I, I think with <laughs> kind of with the statement you just said, I'll be very surprised if you don't enjoy it.
0: I, you know, I will, I I will absolutely guarantee you I will order those I try to order them used on Amazon and I've gone through my library phase but I like to have them on my bookshelf I like to be able to I, I'm even to the point now to get into this. After I re- read a book, I go back through because I never review the book, what I've underlined. I go back through and I bring my fancy mic here and I record usually 20 to 30 minutes where I read all the underlines sections. And I listen to that when I'm driving awesome. to kind of get more value out of it. But, you know, one other thought with it, and I'll, I'll order both of those books. I appreciate that. One other thing that I'm so grateful for, and I'm, I'm happy to share, you know, the journey of failure getting here. But one of the things three years ago I did, I did this purpose purpose workshop with a friend of mine about uncovering your purpose and and one of the phrases i came up with as part of this was paid to grow and i've got it on my whiteboard over here i've got this big visual that that's the central word paid to grow and i thought man i would love to eventually be in a spot where I'm earning money just to deepen as a human being, to be learning, to be curious, to be growing. And that was one of the things that resonated when Executive Presence was born, is I'm I'm literally meeting with these CEOs, I'm interviewing them, and we're converting those interviews into LinkedIn posts. And I'm like, it's it's eerie for me to think back three years ago, that was my goal. And now I'm being paid to meet with the CEOs of the fastest growing companies and learn from them about what they did. And I just put that out there as, you know, I, I think that th- this whole visualizing thing can get a bad rap, but there's so much power of becoming specific and precise in what you're wanting and I think it just sits in the back of our subconscious if we keep that alive on a daily basis. And there's a way to make that happen.
1: You know, <laughs> I'm going to give, so I want to follow up one talking about yeah. the the CEOs and, and what to do on LinkedIn. But, but before that, the visualizing thing, like I had this mentor 20 years ago, he's my business partner now in our big, what his name is John. He's one of our partners in uh, the general partnership of this, that big fund. I was telling you, we're trying to build those lecturers yeah. resorts in Mexico. Right. Yeah. And he. He told me to start writing stuff down. And I just like, he was the only millionaire willing to take my phone calls as like a 20 year old art school dropout. Okay. And, and I just did whatever he said, basically like no filter. You know, I read the books he told me to read. I just did what he said. So I started this habit of like, I keep like a little, I don't know, three by five notebook in with me all the time and in church on Sundays. I'd flip to the back of it and I'd write like, "What are like my biggest priorities in life?" and be like, mm. "Family and and these kind of things." And then I'd get it eventually down to like, "What would be nice to have?"s And sometimes I would actually just draw pictures. And it was so funny a while back when I pulled out one of them that ten that the book was ten years old and it had like a picture. It had like these little drawings. that it had a house. It had a black four wheel drive truck and a black snowmobile and a black fast car. <laughs> you yep. And I had all the things. I had all the things from my stupid little drawing from the book yeah. from 10 years early, earlier. 100%. And it's like self-programming, right?
0: It is. It is. You know, I, I the other thing I have hanging up on my board over here, my, my friend, I meet with a, another entrepreneur once a week for an hour. We just kind of, you know, shoot the breeze and share, share ideas. One of the things I picked up from him is what he calls his Belize letter. And, ex, you know, similar, different approach. He wrote a letter to himself five years in the future. He read it every week. And it was describing, it was kind of like as if he had written it five years from now, looking back, what was going on. Same thing you said, every single thing, maybe there's one or two things different, but every single thing he had envisioned, he had five years later. And I did the same thing. I wrote out exactly what I want my life to look like in five years. I read it once a week to remind myself. I think our minds are so powerful, but sometimes you know we can't keep our attention on the same thing that we're wanting. And so by keeping you know, harnessing the power of our mind, fixating on one thing, I think it makes us able to say no to the things, the distraction. It allows us to be open to opportunities we might not otherwise. I, I, I can't quite articulate it, but there's something incredibly powerful there.
1: I mean, I totally agree. And, and I think I know why it gets a bad rap, because when somebody watches some movie like The Secret... It's like, just wish for it and it will yeah. come to you. Like, yep. that's not, the, that's not the whole equation. Yeah. Like to yep. me, like what I love about your story is of your friend, there is the repetitions, right? Yes. If you continually refocus, you really keep your eye on the horizon. You, you continually step back and look at the big picture and say, you know, are my actions lining up with my stated goal? You know, like that continual self-evaluation, right? And then for the next week, you actually put in the work. You actually take the action. It's not about wishing, right? Yes but I know lots of hardworking people who don't get far because it's all just what's in front of their nose. Do you know what I mean? Like it's all get through the day. It's all get to the weekend. And it's like that short-term long-term thinking thing of, you know, meaningful repetitions, something you're emotionally committed to and giving your chance, giving yourself the chance to get re emotionally committed to it. Like I'm reviewing the letter every week. I mean, I don't care if it's, I don't care if people want to call it, call it hokey or whatever. That's effective. Yeah. If you take I mean, the action during the week in between.
0: 100%. And 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 I forget your story, but I think you were a professional athlete at one point or aspiring professional athlete?
1: No, I mean, I thought about not going to university to become a pro snowboarder.
0: Snowboarder, um, that's right. Yeah.
1: But like I, you know,
0: it's it, I just bring it up cuz this this friend who recommended it, he was an aspiring pro hockey player. He's, you know, from from Canada. And then this is a practice that he and his team did. They visualized the game. Like of course, They worked their tails off on the ice practicing and in the weight room and all these things, but another tool in their arsenal was visualizing the perfect game, how it would feel to make those shots, how it would make feel to defend. And I feel like it's just nothing more than that. Yes, we're all hitting the equivalent of the gym. We're all hitting the equivalent of the field to practice and we're bringing that mind component It's, uh, yeah, it's something I'm a big believer in.
1: Well, I've got, I've got a whole bunch of questions, but let's start with this. Let's go through some practical tips for somebody who's listening today, a founder, a managing director, somebody who's in charge who's saying, yeah, I've, I have noticed that some of my friends does seem like they're getting opportunities off LinkedIn. And I've always thought maybe I should do something and I've, I've messed around a little bit, haven't done much. You know, right now we're talking at the beginning of January, 2022. As you look at 2022, what are your predictions of, you know, what behaviors done repeatedly would be most helpful to a CEO this year?
0: I, I think that one thing is one of the biggest mistakes I see is, first of all, CEOs just don't post or they post maybe monthly or quarterly. And and when they do, it's it's kind of like the generic. I'm so happy that name of magazine recognized us as name of accomplishment. It's just kind of like that has its place in a portfolio, but it's kind of like the Christmas card card equivalent of a post. I, I think that what builds a relationship is having a larger repertoire, like talking about the culture of the company, talking about the industry, talking about their own journey and specifically the vulnerability of mistakes they've made, lessons they've learned. I think that that's what we gravitate to most is people who are willing to say, you know, this is my company, I failed. Here's my postmortem on why, Hope that helps like I think there's a way to give advice and impart knowledge that takes courage and vulnerability. So I I would say to any CEO who's excited about this, some action is better than nothing. It doesn't have to be perfect. And it's easy to look at the people on LinkedIn or any social media channel who have unbelievable numbers. And then be disappointed when you don't achieve that. But if you rewind the clock, if you scroll through their feed, you'll see that a year ago, two years ago, it was a fraction of that. They just consistently posted good content that was serving their audience and it that led to good things. And I actually, because I love to, to geek out on numbers, I actually looked at LinkedIn has these things called top voices. It's the kind of the most successful people on LinkedIn in different categories. I scraped all the data and I looked at, okay, what are these people doing that's different? And one trend was they posted 5.2 times per week on average. That is Monday through Friday without exception. And so like we talked about earlier, consistency makes a difference in the gym. It makes a difference in savings. And so whatever you can do to keep a metronome-like consistency on LinkedIn is beneficial. And you know, third thing I'll say is that it it's hard to do that. Like most people don't like to write, which is why the path that we take with CEOs is we don't write. we We do what Jess and I are doing right here. We have a conversation where we ask questions designed to evoke a story for LinkedIn. And then afterwards, we take their words, we take their insight, their intonation, and we form it into a format that works for LinkedIn but it's all authentic it's all their words and advice and so you can do that with your team you don't have to sit and try to think of what to write you can have a team member ask you questions to get those ideas out of your head cuz most of us it's easier for us to talk than to write and then the fourth thing is you know I'll give a plug for a company i have no stake in called shield app i think it's shield app I don't know, .io, .ai. It's just a great interface. It's maybe 20 bucks a month and it has a lot of analytics and i feel like you know probably your audience knows this very well anything you want to get better at you have to measure and so specifically in our case with our clients we use five different you know meci mutually exhaustive collectively exclusive criteria we use five different categories to tag each post is it a story is it a list is it a statement how long is it is it serious is it humorous and so every time one of our clients posts we're tagging it And we're looking weekly and monthly at the numbers to say, okay, what is your audience responding to? It turns out stories from undergrad work really well for you with your audience for whatever reason. It turns out lists that are humorous work really well. And so if you want to get better, you have to be measuring and looking at this so you can see you have a very unique audience, you have a very unique voice, what works best. And it's just a way to iterate and get better faster. That
1: makes tons of sense. And also knowing why you're on LinkedIn, right? Yeah. Like, am I here for am I here for fundraising? Am I here for clients? Am I here for recruiting? And like there's can be the all of the above, but like, you know, having a priority list, like the number one thing I'm here for is, you know, like I keep thinking about this. Like my friend Stacy Havener, who I brought up before, right? She knows that her LinkedIn is lead gen for. You know somebody who's leaving Goldman Sachs that wants to start their own fund, right? Yep. And they, they're they're going to be a first time, they're going to be a first time manager. They're awesome at making money, but they they don't have a background in you know starting a fund, right? Yep. And she just like I was thinking about your your comment on the what's really serving your audience, mm-hmm. and I think sometimes some of that stuff, you know, we don't always have as good examples on that. So like I'm thinking of an example from Stacy, and I would love if you come up with some other examples of your clients or you or whatever. But like. She, something she does that I appreciate as a fund manager is she pulls back the curtain and she, she'll tell you stories, you know, she doesn't embarrass clients or anybody, but she pulls back stories on like what actually happened and what the registered investment advisor or what the institutional investor that her client was pitching said after the meeting and like, and she pulls back the curtain on like, what do we not know about, you know, in those meetings where they get tens of millions of dollars committed what happens in those meetings? And it's, it's very, it's, it's a great service to me because there's no other way other than someone who is there telling you to happen, what happened. There's no other way to find out what happens in those meetings to prepare yourself, to be thinking like, oh, that's what I need to be getting ahead. And so to me, that's, that feels like service. What's, what's another form of service to you on the LinkedIn?
0: Yeah. A good friend of mine wrote a, or created a documentary that's on Amazon Prime that's called Queens and Cowboys. It's about the gay rodeo. And it's it's a great documentary. And I remember talking with him about the documentary. And he said, look, any good, compelling story is created around tension. So in this documentary, they introduce a likable character. And the tension and the question is, is he going to make it to be the King of the Roadie or whatever the title is? And that's what draws us into writing it or to watching this movie. And, And as I dissect LinkedIn posts, that's often a common trait is that they either present something surprising or they draw you in into a situation that you're not familiar with. So with your friend's example, I don't know what it's like to be behind the scenes there. Like I'm immediately curious. Or if they start with a tense situation, I need to read to resolve that, to see where that goes. And so I think that there's, you know common, one of the things I admire, Justin Welsh is a guy on LinkedIn. He's he's fantastic. He has courses about LinkedIn post writing. One of the things I admire about him is he's committed to the craft of copywriting, which is essentially what you're doing on LinkedIn. You're writing great copy that draws people in. And and one other thing I'll say is I love I love Jerry Seinfeld, and I love how much he's of an, an evangelist for stand up. And he talks about how stand up is the the only place where you get a scorecard. Every 10 seconds, you know, you tell a joke and you know immediately if it's funny or not. And he, he talks very candidly about like, despite the success he's had, if he's not funny, people are not going to laugh. And I think that, you know, LinkedIn is in a similar vein, maybe not the, the same extreme. You're going to get feedback immediately from your audience on a daily basis of what they value from you. You may see yourself as a visionary leader. If no one else sees that that might not be what you're going to write about. So you're able to dabble, you know, some of the most successful posts that I've done. I love running. I got into ultra running recently and I would just, you know, I'd be on these long runs and I'd be thinking about how it applied to entrepreneurship. And surprisingly, I put that out there and that worked really well. And that I wouldn't have known that otherwise. So the great thing is, you know, don't, don't put this off because you don't know what your shtick is, or you don't know what people want to hear from you. If you're posting 25 times a week, that's 20, five experiments that are going to lead you down the right path and help you find your voice, help you find your footing.
1: Yeah. I, I love it. And I think, you know, like posting 25 times a week could sound like, or a, a re- month, sorry, five, five, five times a week, but 25 times a week, go, go for it. Yeah. Okay. But let's bring that up. Let's say 25 times a week, but, but even 20 times a month, right? Your work days, it could sound like a lot of work to people unless it can be tied to, Hey, you know, I think this is a legitimate way to attract the talent for that key hire. Or I think this is a legitimate way to build a presence and help with, you know, our next round or, you know, with the type of client that we're trying to work with and, and keeping that, like, what am I doing this for in mind helps us get through like the being bad at it enough times until we can get good at it. Right.
0: And I would go even beyond that. Like, I think that one of the great things about fantastic CEOs is that there is a why far behind, far beyond hiring and selling. You know, one of the people I, I really admire on LinkedIn, Mita Malik, she is all about diversity and inclusion. And she talked, I mean, it's so evident this motivates her of making sure that people are not outsiders, that making sure that all manner of people are accepted into a hiring environment. And, and that's a great why to have that be your mission. And I'm imagining anyone who founded a company or runs a company, there's some mission behind it, you know? Whether it's, whether I can't even think of great examples off the top of my head, but like Patagonia, talk about a great mission. Like to talk about a mission that resonates with me. I'm buying their product, even though I like Arcteryx way more. <laughs> like you go for companies that align with your values. And so I think if anyone listening is introspective, yes, one of the byproducts is hiring, retaining employees, business development, fundraising, all of these things, but going deeper of like, what, what is it that you want to impart to people? What would make the world a better place? What motivates you to grow this company?
1: Yeah. You know, it's funny as you say that. Cause I think about podcasting, right. And I think, um, if I told people how much work it is and then told them the real reason I do it is because I learn so much and it's so fun and I've made such good friends. Yeah. They'd be like, Oh, I already have friends. Right. But you tell them, like, oh, no, I had the city of New York call up and hire us cold. Yeah. You know, their email said, I have a budget. When can I have a budget? When can we talk? <laughs> <That's> <laughs> <awesome>. Right. <Yeah. laughs> that, yep. that gets people to start it. But it's like the relationships and the learning and the ahas that have kept me to, you know, whatever, 700 and something episodes. Right. Yeah. And I'm sure it's the same for you with 400 plus episodes at yours.
0: Um, I love, you know, quick plug for podcasts because I think that podcasts have so far to go still. It's just amazing that, like, the people I reach out to, if I said I'm just in a Siri, can I meet with you? Most probably wouldn't make the time, but because I have a podcast, they do. And in 400 plus episodes, the number of times I've been asked about the size of my audience is unbelievably small. And so it's just by, by virtue of having a podcast, you're able to get these people. And the great thing is like, you know, you and I are having this great conversation. I'm enjoying it. And others are able to benefit this. It's just like the byproduct of a great conversation serves people in different time zones, different continents, different years. I think it's an incredible way to impart knowledge at scale.
1: Yeah. Well, listen, we love to cut these shows in half, so I'm going to end here for part one, everybody. Please turn in for, for part two with Justin.